Ephesians chapter 1 today, uh, continuing our study through the book of Ephesians. We're on week 2. And last week we looked at just the first two verses, this greeting uh, of the letter to the church of Ephesus. But as we established, it was beyond just the church of Ephesus, but the churches of that region, as well as there's really no uh, specific stamp on it to where it is a letter written to us as believers, any who are saints or the faithful, as it says. And so we're taking that and we're going to learn from that. We're going to grow through these scriptures together, the doctrinal truths that are going to be unfolded throughout. And in these first couple of verses last week, we laid some groundwork uh, for building these doctrinal truths. And that was, one, Jesus is the foundation, and two, grace and peace are the starting points. And so as we, even this week, we begin to look at some pretty uh, big doctrines within the church and, and what, you know, this truth of what we believe, we have to go back to consistently the foundation of Jesus Christ and grace and peace that comes through Jesus Christ. It's all about relationship. It's all about redemption. And so we're just learning a little bit more about redemption. And and we'll really start with that idea. We're learning a little bit more about redemption, but we're not going to have it all figured out. Because God is God. And we'll get further into that today. The main thing to remember that, though, Jesus is the foundation. Grace and peace are the starting point. So in verse 3, as we begin here, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the diving into some doctrinal truths and doctrinal studies here. Recognizing, first of all, within all doctrine, that God gets the glory. Blessed be is a glorification of God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Establishing, of course, last week that Jesus is Lord through the work of that he has completed in giving us the gift of salvation, his life, his death, his resurrection, this work of salvation being completed. And so now we give glory to God. We give glory to God and it's work through the Son and then we're even going to bring the Holy Spirit into the conversation here because we're talking about spiritual things. And, we're, and we know that Jesus, through our study in the Gospel of John, we know that Jesus gave the Holy Spirit. He said, I do not leave you orphans, but I give you the Holy Spirit, a helper who will abide with you forever. And so this is important groundwork still here that we are setting to understanding doctrine. It is Father, Son, and Spirit involved in all these things, but it is based on still the foundation, Jesus Christ fulfilling the work of salvation and starting with that grace and peace, we will naturally respond in glorification. Imagine all that Christ has done for you. Just take a moment and think of all that Christ has done. And as we studied even in the book of John prior to this, we got to experience this this will of the Father This plan of the Father, and that plan was for redemption, and he sent the Son, and the Son was on the same mission as the Father to fulfill the work that was planned, the work of salvation. And then Jesus said, I give you the Holy Spirit, I'm not going to leave you. But we should naturally respond in glorification when we think of what Christ has done. 
We should naturally respond in glorification when we think of our great need. And and we sang this song today, worthy is your name, Jesus. You deserve the praise. Do we just say words? Do they just come out of our mouths and we like the tune and so we're like, yeah, I'll sing along with that. And it comes out, worthy is your name, Jesus. Do we mean it? Do we believe it? Do we understand what that means? To say, worthy is your name or praise be or as it says here, blessed be. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is a pause and a recognition of all that he's done. It's a pause and it's a recognition of our great need. You see, that's the foundations of salvation. We wouldn't, we wouldn't need salvation if we don't recognize that we're sinners. We have to recognize that, first of all, that we are sinners in need of grace, in need of redemption. Truly, this is the message of the Bible. It is summed up in these verses. In even the previous verse, as we studied last week, man is at enmity with God because of sin. And through God's grace, he sent his son to take our place as an act of grace. To bring peace so that man is no longer at enmity with God. So let that be our natural response. Blessed be. Glorification of God. Meaning praise be to God and recognizing that is our purpose. You want to know what your purpose is in life? I think everybody wants to sign up for that one. What is my purpose in life? Maybe you're struggling. Maybe you're struggling with self-worth or you're struggling with understanding your value, your place in Christ. Ephesians will get further into it. But the reality is this. We were created for the purpose of glorifying God. That's where we need to go back to. When it comes to doctrine, when it comes into even what we're going to get into today is even a topic of debate within the church, a doctrinal debate. But what is it all about? What are we all about? The glorification of God. Are we all about figuring out every detail that the Bible has to say? Are we all about puffing up ourselves with knowledge and understanding every, every doctrine there is in the Bible or any, able to argue any side of any argument within theology? No, we are all about the glorification of God. It's important that we recognize that's where Paul starts the statement. Because we can separate verses out and we can separate even words out like predestination. We're like, whoa, hold on, let's have a whole debate on it. Time out. Paul started with glorification. And that was even before that, he started with the foundation of Jesus Christ and his grace and his peace being the starting point. These are all the things that are setting the groundwork to understand the doctrine. And we must come back to the glorification of Christ. Sometimes we get caught up in these theological debates. And the problem is we take some of the glory for ourselves in our understanding. 
When it comes to doctrine, it is essential for us to give glory to God. And there's a picture here that we're going to see, and this is part of the groundwork, this picture here of the Trinity at work throughout this whole chapter, really, and we need to keep that in mind, that we are saved by the Father through the Son, kept by the Holy Spirit. In these verses we're going to study this week and next week through verse 14, we see those things unfolded. And, and ultimately the work of each Father, Son, and Spirit. And it's all about our redemption. It says, he has blessed us. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who has blessed us? The word blessed or blessed is oh how happy. Another reason to praise God and bless his name is because he makes us happy. You might think, well, no, he doesn't make me happy. Who's that on? Have you forgotten already what we just talked about? He saved us. We have the gift of salvation. And if we base everything on that, it is easy to glorify God. If we base everything on the fact that we are saved by grace through faith, then yeah, we are. Oh, how happy. And that has nothing to do with circumstance, but you know what? Hey, my circumstances are really hard. Life's really difficult. Yeah, it is. Maybe you feel like, you know, I've been dealt a, a raw deal. I've faced too many difficult things in life. How can I feel blessed? How can I feel, oh, how happy? To be blessed is not an emotion. It's a response to the work that Christ has done. We have been given salvation. And Paul would even further write in Corinthians as he pleads with the Lord for the thorn in the flesh to be that he might be delivered from it. And God says to him, my grace is sufficient to say, Paul, have you forgotten salvation? Are you basing your joy off of circumstance? Are you going to be oh how happy only because things are going well? Well, in order to understand this, we have to get a perspective of what blessing is. Because we have a twisted view of blessing. We take blessing and we try to apply it to everyday life. And you might say, well, yeah, I'm blessed. I got it. I got it vehicle, I've got a job, I've got my family, I've got a house, uh, everything's great, I'm blessed, you know, hashtag blessed, and we put that out there, we'll post things online, like hashtag blessed, because, you know, we had a good day, but in reality, that has nothing to do with blessing, this is just an earthly term that we put to blessing, money, possessions, uh, family, all these things. And yes, they are blessing in a sense of we enjoy them. But do they give us true purpose and meaning as far as it goes with eternity? Now listen. Christ makes us happy, oh how happy, through salvation, not through circumstance. Because salvation is the spiritual blessing. And that's what he says here. Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He's done it. 
It is in Christ, as it says. He's poured out his blessing. He's done the work of salvation, and the blessing is ours. And the blessing is salvation. It's grace and peace. But it's spiritual blessing, and it's in the heavenly places. It's not in the earthly places. Spurgeon says this, we are not sitting here and groaning and crying and fretting and worrying and questioning our own salvation. He has blessed us and therefore we will bless him. If you think little of what God has done for you, you will do very little for him. But if you have a great notion of his great mercy to you, you will be greatly grateful to your gracious God. Perspective. It's all about perspective. And he has blessed us. Who is us? It's the same as the first verse. It's the saints and the faithful. The Jews and the Gentiles and beyond. Meaning that the blessing is for all. The saints, the faithful, past, present, future clarifying this even for the first century Jews at the time who thought that they were the only blessed ones. Paul's saying it's beyond that. It's with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So this tells us what kind of blessing it is. It's spiritual, meaning it's greater than the physical and it's actually not physical at all. Spiritual blessing has nothing to do with physical. It is the complete opposite. And we try, to, we try to put them together. And we think that even spiritual blessing is based on some physical things. But what we're talking about here, it has nothing to do with it. Spiritual blessing is not only not physical in any way, but it's also not from this earth. It's in the heavenly places. So we're seeing the type of blessing, and we are seeing where the blessing comes from it is the place it is not just talking about it's the origin of the blessing is from heaven from the heavenly places which is greater than the earthly places which is greater than the earthly perspective and like i said before we can get caught up in the things that we think are a blessing on this earth but this the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places the gift of salvation the gift of his grace and peace That's the greatest blessing. And it is in Christ, because that's what it's all about. To be in Christ, to be in fellowship with him, is the blessing that brings the greatest blessing. Fellowship with Jesus Christ. The contrast between the physical and the spiritual, even looking at in Christ, what do we get in Christ? Well, the physical, something like food, we would say that's a blessing. Yes, It is. It's a physical blessing. It's nothing compared to the fact that Jesus said, John chapter 6, I am the bread of life. That's blessing. That's spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Physical would be, well, water is a blessing. It's a necessity even. The spiritual is that Jesus gives the living water. John chapter 4. With the woman at the well, he speaks of this. You will never thirst again. The physical would be our provisions for life. We think, yeah, we need provision. The spiritual that 
we have new life altogether in Christ. Physical being that we have possessions. Those are our blessings here. The spiritual being that God is our strength and our portion forever, Psalm 73. And even in that Psalm 73, there is a a change in perspective by Asaph as he writes this. And he's somewhat complaining before the Lord. Like, why do I watch the wicked prosper? This is miserable. My life is so difficult and I watch the wicked prosper. You might look around and think, what? Come on. But then he has this change in perspective. Why? Because he entered into the presence of the house of the Lord. And he saw the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. He says, whom have I in heaven but you? There is none upon earth that I desire besides you. A perspective. Not based on circumstance. And it is easy to base things on circumstance. To base our glorification of God on circumstance and to base our our blessedness or our happiness on circumstance. But we have an opportunity to appreciate spiritual things. Thinking of only physical is actually no different from animals. I've got a pet dog and he only thinks of food, water, toys, play, go out in the yard, go to the bathroom. Those are the things that he, that's his life is all about. And then he's like, come over and like, hey, pet me. And once in a rare while, it's like, hey, let me like warm you. I don't think he's thinking that. I think it just comes close. He's like, oh, thank you. But it's all physical. It's all simple. It's all basic. And that's a domesticated dog. Imagine the wild animals out there. It's all just physical. So what sets us apart from animals? The Spirit. The Spirit of God. Spiritual things. Getting our mind off of the physical and being able to appreciate the spiritual. And not only do we get to appreciate, we get to receive. We get the gift. Salvation. Grace, peace, relationship with Jesus Christ. God has given all of this available to us. He holds nothing back when it comes to this blessing. And all comes from fellowship with Jesus Christ. So the picture that we need to see here as we prepare to move on to verse 4. There is this picture of a divine counsel that planned out redemption. As we said before, we started with the idea here, we have the Father, we have the Son, we have the Holy Spirit. And in these coming verses 4 through 14 and 4 to 6, we see the Father's part, which is the plan for redemption, which we're going to look at today. And the next week, we're going to look at verses 7 to 14. And in these verses, we see the Son's part, which is the execution of the plan. And we see the Spirit's part, which is the application of the plan, that he keeps us. We have this opportunity, but we need to understand that first, it was Father, Son, and Spirit. I I don't know about you guys, but I get this picture of this eternal gathering 
before all of time and space and outside of all of time and space, Father, Son, and Spirit who planned out our redemption. And not just ours like here in this room, but planned out redemption for all of the world, for all of time, and for all of the future. It's a glorious sight. It's a glorious picture that we can imagine here. And that will help us understand a little bit more how great God is, which will help us understand a little bit more the idea even of predestination. So remember, this passage is about the plan, execution, and implementation of redemption by the Father through the Son, kept by the Holy Spirit. This council of the Trinity. So in verse 4, it starts out to say, just as he chose us before the foundation of the world. And I'm going to just read through these two verses, and we're going to kind of packaged together a little bit here, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. So he chose us before the foundation of the world. Now, you gotta love Paul. He gives his greeting He gives a little word about salvation and the blessedness of salvation and how we are so happy. And now he gets right into predestination. He gets right into, you are chosen. Okay, thanks, Paul. So we have this topic, these being major topics of disagreement in the church. Predestination, election may be a word that you've heard before. And maybe you haven't, you're like, I don't know what is going on here. Let's, let's go. We're going to work together. We're going to work through some of these things today. Understanding the starting point here, it says that just as he chose us, meaning we are chosen. And we are chosen in Christ. It is within Christ and not within ourselves. We have to understand that. And we have to go back to even the, the foundational truth that it's on, based on Jesus Christ, the starting point of grace and peace. It's all about God's glory, giving him the glory for the blessedness of salvation and now getting into the fact that we are chosen. And it is not because of us, it is in Christ. It is through Christ and it is in that fellowship and that relationship with Jesus Christ. Remember who Paul wrote this to. Who did Paul write this to? Believers. Those who are in the faith. Let's just take a moment here and recognize that it's really easy for Paul to say we are chosen to a group of believers. It's easy for us to even just receive that and appreciate that blessedness. So who is chosen? We, us, those who are in Christ. The same word that is used before the Jew, the Gentile, and beyond, the saints and the faithful. We are chosen because of the work of Christ, not within ourselves. Salvation was the plan from the beginning. Before the foundations of the world, salvation was the plan. Now, many will receive it, many will reject it. But this letter was written to the church, 
And important to recognize and remember that predestination is only spoken of in the Bible to the church. It's not spoken to the world. It is spoken to the church. So as believers in Jesus Christ, yes, we can take that appreciation of the blessedness and say we are chosen in Christ. Amen. There's a faith to that. Now, we get all caught off guard by things, right? We struggle over this. Why? Because of our finite minds is why. We struggle over this because we think we know what justice is. And we might think, well, if some are chosen. That means some are not chosen. So how is that fair? What is fair? What are we basing fairness on? What are we basing justice on? We're basing it on our ideas of what we've learned through a fallen world. We can't fit that into the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. You see, we have to connect verses three and four. We have to put them together. We can't say, okay, we're over the spiritual blessings part, and now let's talk about predestination and election part, and we keep those verses separate from these verses, and then we try to explain or understand the idea of predestination. But it says that we are chosen, chosen out of darkness and given the opportunity to walk with Jesus. You see, there is a balance, guys. And this is what the argument is all about. Is it all the sovereignty of God? Is it all the responsibility of man? Now, we are in very much of a middle ground. And I believe that we are not supposed to understand that we're not supposed to be able to explain predestination or election. But what we can understand is that God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit got together in this council before the foundation of the world and made a perfect plan for salvation. And that perfect plan was for all eternity. It was to fulfill all of the law and to fulfill all the prophets and to bring a gift of eternity to all who would believe. What would make me think I could wrap my mind around that? Now, I can try, and I have my thoughts, and I, I believe truly we have to be careful not to take away from the sovereignty of God, recognizing that he is all-powerful, in control of all things. And he is to be glorified, which we started with today. But we also can't take away from the fact that we have a responsibility and Paul says that here. We are chosen, and we are chosen in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame. That tells us that we have a responsibility. So God's responsibility is he did it all. He planned out redemption before the foundation of the world. Father, Son, and Spirit made a perfect plan that we can't fully understand. We have fallen. We are sinners. And our responsibility is to put our trust in him. And when we do, you know what we get to say? We are chosen. 
So there's this balance between these two things. And Paul does not treat this, as he goes right into it, Paul, he does not treat it as a simple thought or a vague topic. You see, the reality is we have to look back. We need to rewind to what we just talked about. Spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. Father, Son, and Spirit made the plan. We have to recognize who he is and that we can't wrap our mind around who he is. We can't wrap our mind around the perfect plan for redemption. The picture that we have of the divine counsel of the Trinity before the foundation of the world, it's a glorious sight. But the problem that we have is trying to fit God into our box, into our understanding, and to understand something that we actually cannot understand, the sovereignty of God, the blessedness of God, the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. And as we connect those verses to each other, we begin to understand that God's ways are not our ways. God's thoughts are not our thoughts, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are his ways and his thoughts beyond ours. Isaiah 55, we can't get there in our own understanding, but we can walk with him and have fellowship with him, and we are then in that place to say, yes, we are chosen. Now, nowhere in the Bible is this presented as an argument. It's just presented. There's predestination. There is election. But there is man's responsibility. And there is even the fact that God desires that all men should be saved. So what, how do we figure this out? Well, the reality is we don't know. And there are, listen, there are gray areas in Scripture, guys. There are certainly gray areas, and those are things that we can't understand. There are, there are camps that go one side and the other side. There is the Calvinistic view, and there's the Arminianistic view. And, and, and if you go too far one way or the other, like I said before, you either take away from the sovereignty of God, or you take away from the responsibility of man. And that's why we, I believe, when it comes to gray areas in Scripture we should probably fall into the middle, which is just, let's just fix our eyes on Jesus and glorify Christ. I don't have to get, I don't have to worry about how far can I go before I lose my salvation, right? Where's the line? Can I go, how about here? Can I go here? And then what happens? No, I don't, I don't have to worry about that. I'll stay away from the line and I will fix my eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith, Amen. Martin Lloyd-Jones says it this way, the, the Bible does not answer our questions about this matter. It does not give us a full philosophical ex explanation. There are real difficulties about this question because it is from God. And the Bible does not pretend to give a detailed answer or philosophical explanation. It makes its statement and leaves it at that. 
And we should respond in the same manner as the Apostle Paul and say, great is the mystery of godliness. First Timothy. We cannot begin to understand the mystery of the two natures in one person. We cannot understand the truth of the three persons in one Godhead. These things are in a realm beyond man's understanding, and so is the doctrine that tells us that God chooses us. Our minds are too small, and not only small, we are also sinful and perverted. Even as Christians, we still cannot think clearly, and that is why there have been heresies throughout the centuries. Guys, it's all back to him. Romans 9 says, you know what? He chooses, yes. And we worry about what's just. God is just. So is it for us to figure out? No. It's for us to trust Jesus. It is for us to press on in faith, hope, and love. Predestination and election belongs to the whole scope of salvation. It is massive. God's perfect plan for redemption is so glorious and we should, as the church, be grateful through relationship with him that we are chosen. R.C. Sproul says this, there is a reason why the elect have, have been chosen to salvation. But the reason is found in God, not in man. God did not choose them because they qualified for the choice. Rather, he chose them because he was pleased to extend his mercy. And so, as we said, there is this salvation. We are chosen, and there's the salvation, which is God's sovereignty. And then we are chosen, and it says, for this holiness, without blame. And that is man's responsibility. Holy and without blame, though, can even bring us back to relationship with Jesus Christ. Because who is holy and without blame? Only Jesus. He, is the requi- he was the required sacrifice. The perfect sacrifice that was required by law to satisfy the wrath of God. We cannot offer that. But we are clothed in his righteousness through relationship. And it is, it is done in love, it is done in him, it is in Christ, and that's how we are presented holy and blameless, is in Christ. You see, so it all comes back to relationship with Jesus Christ is the way of redemption. And the plan was for adoption, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ. That's what it was for, that we would be treated as sons and daughters of God, the Father, that we might have that intimate relationship with him to be cared for, giving us this comfort, protection, and fellowship with the Father, being brought in. When there's an adoption, someone is brought into the family as one of their own. How is that? It's through Christ. It is in Christ. It is in love. It is by his grace and his peace, the blessedness of salvation, that he says, You are adopted into the family of God. And there's so much great strength in that. 
being brought into the family of God through the work of Jesus Christ is his work of salvation. There's a work of transformation, and it is that work of caring for us, making us one of his. Verse 6, it is to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Bringing us back to grace. We started with grace last week. We talked so much about it. The grace and peace that comes through Christ Jesus. And now we are back to it. It is the work of grace. That he performs the act of grace. The gift of grace that he gives. And that is put on a pedestal here. To be honored. And recognized as what saves us. And in chapter 2 in Many weeks from now, probably, we'll get into the fact that we are saved by grace through faith. There's God's work, God's sovereignty, and there is man's responsibility. But his grace, it is sufficient. It is unbelievable, and it needs to be recognized and honored. And that's why when we sing songs, we sing of his grace, or we pray prayers. We say, thank you for your grace and your mercy that's new every morning. By grace we are saved. And that grace being put on a pedestal is what makes us acceptable because Jesus was the acceptable sacrifice. His life, his character, his words, his works, his sacrifice. It was acceptable. It was actually pleasing to God so that we would be acceptable in the Beloved, who is Jesus Christ. Being part of the beloved, the family of God. Those who are his, we are his. We are accepted by the standing of his grace. Not the standing of our intellect. Not the standing of our thoughts over what salvation is, over our thoughts of predestination or election, of, of basing off of maybe, you know, Calvinism versus Arminianism. We're not saved on those foundations. We are saved by grace through faith, accepted by the standing of his grace, not our intellect, not our ways. And so we need to recognize that he is to be glorified. And the work of his grace is to be honored. Everything else really falls in line. And we can with confidence say, yeah, I am chosen. Because of my relationship with Jesus Christ. And because of the, the responsibility that I have taken to live a life that is set apart. That's what it is. To be chosen is to be set apart. So are we set apart from the world? Or are we of the world? Are we holding on to the things of this world and trying to fit the intellect of salvation into our relationship with Jesus Christ? You see, it has nothing to do with intellect because it has nothing to do with the physical things. 
and even the intellect, it is physical. It is of this world. Our minds are finite of this world, but his ways are not our ways. So what do we do? We press on and we press in to hope and to glorification of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. We thank you, God, we thank you so much that you are on the throne. We thank you that we don't have to figure it all out. That we can come to you as broken vessels and commit ourselves to you to confess our sins and to commit ourselves. And that's what we do today. Search us, O oh God. Work in our hearts. Let us see our great need for you, Jesus. Let us see our sin for what it is. And that we are in need of a savior 